0: Good morning, World Harvest. How are you? It is so great to be with you this morning. This is my first time in Enid, Oklahoma. You guys have a beautiful city. You really do. Yeah. No, I mean that. Um, And uh, I'm just really excited to be here. My name is Jory Buccanaugh. Um, John um, was asking if you pronounced it the French way, but back in Texas, we say Buccanaugh. But but he did. He pronounced it correctly. The French version is the, is the preferred version. And so he said, do you want me to say it, Buckingham? I was like, no, man. Um, it makes me happy to hear you say it right, actually. <laughs> so I'm not used to that, honestly. And so um, just want to send my love to Pastor Brad and Tammy. Thank you so much for inviting me. This has been, uh, I got to worship in the first service and worshiping with you guys just now. I just, uh, I love your church. I've been around your church and known you from afar. I've uh, been around Pastor Brad for many years at TFAC. Um, his leadership in our network of churches is exemplary. He's a great man of God. So is Tammy, a great woman of God. And so I've been around your team a little bit as, at different events that we've done. Of course, Pastor dumas I've gotten to be a part of the Leeds Men's Retreat since the beginning. Leeds Men's Retreat, who, who's in here today? Yeah, it's great to see you guys. Glad y'all are here. Men, if you have not been able to come to the retreat with us, we will be doing it again next October, and so definitely slot some time to to get away with God. It's always a powerful, powerful time. And because of that, I've got to see some of your guys and got to know them, and we've got to break bread and worship together, and there's an intimacy that's born because of that. You guys have a wonderful church, and so I'm just grateful to be here today. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. I have a, a word for you from the Lord that I, I think is going to be good. And as uh, John was introducing me as bold and, and, and a little bit tender, I think uh, I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit more tender this morning than, than forceful because uh, we're going to read a passage of scripture that many of you are familiar with. And, and as we dive into this, I want you to get a fresh perspective. So if you will allow me to set this up. Have you ever gone through a spiritual funk? You know what it's like to feel uh, that, that funkiness in your, in your soul whenever you get bogged down into the cynicism and negativity, and, and you, you know you don't feel God's presence, you don't feel like praying and you just get a bad attitude. I think every single one of us no, no, I know. Every single one of us, if you journey with Jesus for any period of time, you're going to land in that place. And so as you're in that, in that, as you know what it feels like to be in that, one of the things that I want to show you today is Jesus doesn't want us to stay in our spiritual funk. He wants to provide us a way out. And I'm going to show you that today. Okay, It does take work. It's not something that you snap your fingers and your emotions line up and you just kind of get back in place. But there are things that we can busy ourselves with to get us out of our spiritual funk so that we can begin to engage in relationship with Jesus in a very intimate way. That's how he intends it to be done. So did you come to church this morning ready to do business yeah. with God? Yeah. All right, good. We're not just going to check the box off. We're not just trying to move past this to get to Thanksgiving. We're going to dig into God's word and allow him to do business. And so my name is Jory Buccanaugh. I'm the PA. The physician will be in in just a second. Okay. I'm going to try to get you comfortable because I believe that the Lord wants to handle your heart today. So Jesus, we just come to you today and we thank you that you are a good physician. Lord, we declare today that your word is alive and it's active and it's sharp. And Jesus, we invite you to come and pierce our hearts just like a good surgeon would, that you would begin to take out the things that need to be taken out, that you would begin to add to our soul the things that need to be added. In Jesus' name, amen. Revelation chapter 3, Jesus speaks to the church in Laodicea. Many of you know the passage, you know what happens, Jesus gets on to them, okay, and that's not what really I'm here to do today, is to make you feel bad about your failures. Really what I want you to see is that as John the, the Apostle is pinning Jesus' words to the church in Laodicea, Jesus begins to have a talk with them. He, he calls them to a place of, of working themselves out of the spiritual funk that they were in because they were in one. And as he does that, he begins to put his finger on something. And these words you'll be very familiar with. Jesus says, you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you're neither hot or cold, you're like tepid, lukewarm water. And so I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Those are very sobering words. But one of the things that I want, you, want to invite you into is a place of honesty this morning because if you're not careful, we look at this lukewarmness that Jesus is identifying and it's really this indifference. You know, that teenager attitude where it's just like, yeah, God, you're not impressing me. This is dumb. I don't really want to be here right now. That's the attitude that they had, and as he begins to call that out on them, if we're not careful, we look at this condition of the heart, we say, you know that lukewarmness? That's what everybody else struggles with, but I'm a Jesus person. And the thing that I want you to endeavor to be honest in your heart to today is, every single one of us go through what this church went through. We're not exempt. I've found myself, in my relationship with Jesus, just really in a bad attitude. I've found myself from time to time in a place where I am in a spiritual funk. And not only do I identify, I definitely have the bad attitude, but I don't really care if I get rid of it or not. Have you ever been there? And so as we look at this, I want you to see this with a fresh perspective because Jesus isn't coming today to slap you in the face, to shame you, to rub your nose in your mistakes. Really what Jesus is coming to do to have a conversation. So in order to gain a fresh perspective, I want you to imagine with me if you would. In your mind's eye, imagine a family gathering, a family gathering that you enjoy. How about that? (laughs) A family gathering where there's laughter, there's fun, there's food, there's all the things, right? You're around the people that you love and you know that they love you, perhaps they're friends, really good friends, and in that environment, these people know you the best. And you're probably like me, I can be around some family members and if I'm off, they can pick up on it pretty quick. As a matter of fact, I can remember a time whenever I was a teenager and I was going through a really hard time. I, was, I grew up in the church, but I was kind of a prodigal kid and I ran off and did my own thing for many years and caused myself a lot of pain. And I can remember I went through the proverbial, your mom and dad went out of town and I had the party at my house with the beer cans and all the things. And what always happens whenever teenagers do that? Hey, by the way, pay attention right now, teenagers. Mom and dad always come home early, Right? <laughs> If they're wise, they come home early. They say, we'll be home Sunday night, and they show up Sunday afternoon, right? And mom and dad showed up early like parents do, and they found the beer cans, and I got in a lot of trouble and got grounded. Well, we start to have this family gathering, and some family is over. It's a small gathering, and I can remember everybody knew that I had gotten in trouble because mom and dad were joyously telling them. (laughs) And so I went outside to shoot some hoops and just kind of get away from everybody and really avoid everybody because I was embarrassed and I was ashamed, and I can remember one of my aunts came out to the front yard in my driveway, and we had this brick retaining wall, and she sat down on the brick retaining wall, and she was just kind of asking me how I was doing. And she was like, hey, how's school going? Work's still going well? you still working at the place you've been working? Hey, I heard you got in trouble. And I can't tell you the exact words that she told me, but in essence, I'll never forget the inner encounter that I had with her that day. In essence, she basically said, and by the way, this is one of the most unchrist-like person in my family she knew what it was like to destroy your life and she said you know jory the decisions that you're making they're going to cause you a lot of grief in your life you need to listen to your mom and dad and stop doing what you're doing now as you think about the church in laodicea jesus wants to have one of those kinds of conversations with his church See, whenever Jesus comes to the church in Laodicea, he isn't doing it to to make them feel small. He isn't doing that to make them feel ashamed. He is coming in to a family gathering like we are here today as a family. And he's coming alongside them to have a conversation and say, hey, you seem a little off. You seem like you're in a spiritual funk. And what Jesus' motive in having this conversation with the church of Laodicea is to do is to help them get out of the funk, not just point the funk out. And so if you would look at Revelation chapter 3, we're going to pick up in the middle of the thought, and Jesus says, you're neither hot nor cold, since you're like lukewarm water, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And in verse 17, he says, you say, here's their attitude, you say, I am rich, I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor, blind and naked. So I advise you, I want you to remember that word, advise. I advise you to buy from me gold that has been repurified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments for me so you will not be ashamed. By your nakedness, an an ointment for your eyes, so you'll be able to see. There's two words that I want you to see in this passage and draw your attention to. The first is to advise. You ever seen that Facebook feature where you can get recommendations from somebody on restaurants that they've been to? You go into a new city and it's like, hey, I've never been to Austin, Texas before. Anybody know some good places? And people can just recommend different places to go. That's literally what that word means. Jesus says, I want to counsel you, I recommend, I highly recommend that you come purchase some things from me. The second word that I want you to see is the word buy. The word buy literally means to purchase, to to engage in commerce with somebody. It means to do business with me. And so Jesus says, hey church, I've noticed an attitude inside of you and I just want to call it out. I want to call it out gently, but this is what I want you to do. I want to highly recommend that you come do some business with me. Now, As I've looked at this passage over the years, the thing that has caused me um, to scratch my head is it's like, okay, I'm supposed to buy gold refined in fire. I'm supposed to buy white garments. I'm supposed to buy some, some, some medicine for my eyes so that I can see again. But the thing that I want to zero in on this morning is Jesus says, purchase these from me. What currency are we supposed to use in order to buy those great things? I want to get healed, I want to be clothed, and I want to be wealthy. And so what is it that Jesus wants me to purchase? And what I want to do this morning is I want to suggest to you three different commodities that every single person in this room has in their possession today that Jesus wants to exchange with you. He wants to do commerce with you and what you have in your hands, listen, these three commodities, if you keep them in your hands, they will be destructive in your life. That's how good this deal is. Jesus says, hey, I have something very valuable that I want to do business with you in. And if you will take this stuff that's actually dangerous in your life and you will give it to me, I'm going to give you gold refined in fire. So the first one of these commodities that really is the currency of the kingdom is your pain. Jesus said, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined and fire. Then, this is the promise, you will be rich. I don't know if you know this or not, but whenever you decide to follow Jesus, you automatically engage in warfare. You will, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. Don't need to get scared. Don't need to get into an anxiety cycle because he's overcome the world. Right, And so there is this reality that whenever you decide to follow Jesus, there are moments in your journey whenever you're going to go through difficulties. And the promise that Jesus makes to his followers is you will be rewarded every single time. Let me show you this in scripture. I want to read three passages to you just really quickly. And I want to point some things out. But Jesus said to his disciples from the beginning, this is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. He says, God blesses you. When people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Some of your translations will say rejoice. That word in the Greek literally means to jump up and down for joy because somebody lied about you. Because somebody mocked you. Because somebody persecuted you. He says be happy about it. Be very glad. Why? For great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. See, every time we go through a moment of trouble and pain for Jesus, there's a reward that we are going to incur because of it. You can bank on it every single time. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For our present troubles are small. Sometimes my troubles don't feel small. But compared to eternity, they are. For our present troubles are small and they won't last for very long, yet they produce for us a glory. Think about that statement. They produce for us something, a glory, that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. If I could say it a different way, your pain... Creates a purchasing power for you in the kingdom of heaven. First Peter ch- chapter one, verse six, so be truly glad. Again, let's rejoice. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine, is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Here's what Jesus is trying to unpack for the church in Laodicea. I want you to come purchase gold refined in the fire from me, and the thing that I want you to put in my hands is your pain. All too often whenever we go through difficulties and pain and sorrow, we hang on to that stuff. It, we're we're, we're going to be okay. We're going to work our way through it. And what Jesus is saying is, no, 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 no. You don't even realize that that method of dealing with your pain actually will land you into a spiritual funk. If you don't want to be in that funk anymore, then Jesus says, come, bring your pain to me, and I will give you Gold. That has been refined in the fire. Now I don't know what it looks like to be wealthy in the kingdom of heaven, but I do know what it looks like to be wealthy here. Right? Whenever I was in junior high, my mom and dad did this thing with me, and I had a bedtime. Y'all have a bedtime? It's, It's a godly thing as parents. I just want to tell you: put your kids to bed early, and you'll have a life. And so my mom and dad, I got to the age where they thought, hey, you know, maybe Jory needs to be able to stay up a little bit later. And so they allowed me to establish my own bedtime when I thought I was hot stuff. And so I stayed up past the local news and got to watch Johnny Carson. And if you made it through Johnny Carson and I got real adventurous and kind of stayed up a little bit later, you got to watch The Fall Guy, which was way better than MacGyver in my book. You made it past The Fall Guy, you got to watch reruns of Bonanza. Bonanza. Come on, somebody. If you got past Bonanza, then you got to sit back and watch the lifestyles of the rich and famous. (laughs) Champagne wishes and caviar dreams, baby. On this show, you got to see yachts and mansions and cars and all the things. And so you and I, because of the world that we live in, it's the context. You've seen somebody who's wealthy. Maybe you are wealthy. We know what it looks like to be wealthy according to the terms of this world. But what Jesus is talking about far surpasses anything that you've seen in the earth realm. What Jesus is saying is, hey, the pain that you're going through is actually generating for you an eternal wealth. Rejoice. See, I... I think sometimes the funk that I'm in spiritually is because I have the wrong perspective. I start looking at the pain that I'm walking through and I start accusing Jesus and I start hating my brothers and sisters and I start, I start building up this negative emotion and this negative perspective and it just kind of cycles into to something that, that, that I can't get out of on my own. And what Jesus is trying to do with this church is give them a way out. Let's look at the second commodity that Jesus wants us to use and he says come buy for me white garments and you will not be ashamed of your nakedness and the thing that Jesus wants you to exchange with him is your sin I want to remind you these commodities that we're talking about this currency of the kingdom every single person in this room has these in your possession you don't have to go looking for them all of us have pain maybe there's different levels of that pain during different seasons of your life all of us have sin. And what Jesus is saying is, I don't want you to hang on to your pain. I don't want you to hide your sin from me. You remember Adam and Eve? This is how we operate with our sin. Adam and Eve in the garden, God told him. He said, you can eat from any of the trees here. All of it's open to you, except that one. Just don't eat from this one tree, the, knowledge of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because in the day that you eat from that tree, you will surely die. And so the serpent comes along, and he begins to tempt Eve to do what God told her not to do. And he said, did God say that you're going to die if you eat from that? She's like, yeah, he said if you're going to die. He said, no, you're not going to die. Here's what's really going to happen. The day that you eat from that tree, you're going to know things like God knows things. See, God, he doesn't want you to do it because if you eat from it, you will become like God. And so it says in Genesis chapter three that Eve looked at the fruit and seeing that it was desirable for food, it looked good to eat, and that it was also desirable for the attainment of knowledge, took it and ate and then gave some to Adam. He didn't complain about it and he ate it. And it says in the very next verse in Genesis chapter three, at that moment, their eyes were opened. And they suddenly felt shame. Shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now shame for the very first time was entered into the human consciousness. They saw themselves and saw themselves as inadequate. They had fallen from glory. And in seeing their state, what what Adam and Eve began to do, the very next thing after they sewed these fig leaves together was they hid themselves from God. See, if you're not careful, all of us in this room have sin issues. If you're not careful, the way that you will deal with your sin is to hide your sin from Jesus. Now, I want to remind you of something. These words that Jesus is speaking to the church in Laodicea, he's not so much speaking to the world. He's speaking to us. He's talking to the church. See, with the day that you believed in Jesus, your sin was forgiven, past, present, and future. But you know, as well as I knew, that you messed up yesterday. You're probably gonna mess up again tomorrow. I'm in the same boat as you are, I'm getting better at walking with Jesus every single day, and I am endeavoring to get free from the entanglement of sin as hard as I can. But you and I, we still mess up from time to time. And whenever we mess up, if we begin to go back to the old way of dealing with our sin by hiding it from Jesus, we land in a spiritual funk. And so what I want to encourage you to do today is there's a way to deal with your sin with Jesus. You might as well start talking to him about your sin issues. He already knows He will not reject you. He saw you in your sin before he went to the cross and he chose to do it. He wanted to do it. He was passionately pursuing the solution to your sin and my sin. And so why is it that I get in this state of mind where I'm like, Oh man, I messed up again and so i got to try to hide this from Jesus. The first thing that I should do is run to the Lord. To get to the place where I allow that that shame to hit my conscience, but instead of hiding from God, I run to God. See, there is one way to deal with your sin, and that is to bring it to Jesus. Romans chapter 3, this is the gospel in its purest sense. How is it that you can stand before God with white garments, clean, right with God? It says in verse 21, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. I want you to let that hit you a little bit because that's good news. The way that you get right with God is not by following the rules. See, that's why the gospel that the apostles were walking around preaching, that's why it was scandalous. They were preaching a gospel of grace through faith. And whenever they preached this message, the Jews, the Pharisees specifically, got really angry to the point where they stoned them and killed them and tried to stop them. Why? Because they were saying, there is this good news. A way has been shown to us to get right with God without keeping the rules. He goes on to say this, There's a way to be made right with God without keeping the requirements of law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus, period. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. And so if you're that person who is listening to me right now, speak this gospel truth to you and go, well, you don't know what I've been messing around with, man. You don't know what I've been hiding from my family for months now. It doesn't matter who you are. This is the way that you get right with God. Is that you stand in a place of faith. You bring your sin to Jesus. You confess with your mouth that he is Lord of your life and you're going to do it his way, right? You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. That's it. You hiding your sin from Jesus will get you nowhere all it will actually do for you in your life is land you in a spiritual funk. Look at the third one. Jesus said, I want you to buy from me ointment for your eyes. Here's the promise, you will be able to see. The commodity that I believe Jesus wants you to use to exchange with him and get this medicine so that you'll be able to see is your pride. Jesus told the church in Laodicea, you don't even understand this yet, because you have this attitude that you don't need anything, but you're actually wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You are blind is a criticism that Jesus used actually pretty frequently throughout the Gospels. He was the one that came to to open the eyes of the blind, and he literally did that physically with those who were blind. But he came to solve a spiritual blindness that plagued the nation of Israel. Jesus confronted spiritual blindness regularly. As a matter of fact, he would tell his disciples hey, whenever you get around the religious leaders, the Pharisees, be careful. A little bit of leaven goes through the whole lump. And he began to talk about, he began to teach his disciples on how to engage with the religious leaders of his day, and he said, they are blind guides. He said, they're like two blind men, one blind man leading another. What's that going to do? It's going to lead you into the ditch. And so he had taught his disciples about spiritual blindness, and the Pharisees exemplified what it meant to not be able to see spiritually. And the reason that they couldn't see is because they were proud. their spiritual works had worked something on their behalf that they were proud of themselves and it became the self-righteousness that kept them from seeing their own condition, that they were wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Every single one of us has a need for Jesus and they couldn't even see it. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 23, I want to read you a passage. Jesus, this was kind of the crescendo of, his, of him confronting the broken religious system of his day in Matthew chapter 23 it was the last week that Jesus was alive and it says that he went to Jerusalem and he was daily in the temple teaching and his disciples would gather and they would hear his lessons and all these other people would gather there was a gob of people in Jerusalem that week because it was Passover but there was also this other crowd that began to gather and it was the Pharisees and the Pharisees listened to Jesus teach all week long and they were looking for a reason to kill him And in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus publicly rebukes and confronts the Pharisees. And he turns to his disciples and he says, listen, if you want to be great in the kingdom, don't do it like the Pharisees. Literally, they're standing right there. And he publicly begins to say, don't do what they do, but practice what they preach. Because they have the law of life. And so he begins to talk about the the Pharisees and he turns to the Pharisees and he begins to call them out in probably the most, uh, I would say, emotional exhibit that you can see Jesus, except for whenever he whipped everybody in the temple and drove them out. And Jesus begins to call them out and he calls out their pride and he says, these are a brood of vipers. These are uh, whitewashed tombs full of dead men bold. And the thing that he repeats over and over and over as he rebukes them publicly is these are blind guides. They have no ability to lead you to a place of life because they can't see themselves. It says in in Matthew chapter 23 that this was the conversation. Immediately after that conversation concluded, the Pharisees left and went and conspired how they were going to murder him. That's what got him killed. There was a, a whole culmination of many things, but that was the straw that broke the camel's back that made the Pharisees decide, we're doing it. In the middle of this conversation, Jesus is rebuking them and he turns to his disciples right in the middle of Matthew chapter 23. And he says, hey, if you want to be great in the kingdom, verse 11, the greatest among you must be a servant. But those who exalt themselves, remember the Pharisees are right here. He has this object lesson. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. But those who humble themselves, they will be exalted. See, the concept of humbling yourself in in the Greek, it literally means to make yourself low. To come and, and to bow down. See, what it means to be proud is to exalt, to make high in your own eyes. And Jesus said, if you will make it, a mark of your character that you will go low, I will lift you up. And what Jesus is trying to point out to the church in Laodicea, and I would suggest to you and I, because all of us are in the same boat that that church was in from time to time, is that if you want to get out of your spiritual funk, one of the things that you're going to have to do is exchange with Jesus your pride. See, one of the things that I firmly believe, church, is that we as the people of God Those who are redeemed by Jesus and believe in his atoning work on the cross should be good at doing business with God. We should be the ones that are ready and able to look within ourselves and say, you know God, I'm not feeling like myself right now. I got a pretty bad attitude. I don't really want to pray. I don't really feel your presence. And I'm starting to question if you even love me anymore. Those are the conversations that Jesus is ready to have. Jesus will never get offended with you if you have that level of vulnerability with him. He won't reject that conversation. He will be like my aunt, my unsaved, ungodly aunt, who is like your elder brother sitting there and going, you know, you don't seem like yourself lately. He already sees it. He's not going to reject you because you're struggling. And what he is imploring his people to do is, hey, come do business with me. If you will just give me your pain, if you will just begin to give me your sin, if you will sacrifice your pride, one of the things that will happen is I will give you everything that you need to be wealthy in the kingdom, to be clothed and right with God, and to be able to see and become aware you know, blindness is one of those things that I'm, I'm quite familiar with. My son is blind. He, uh, he was born premature. And because he was on a ventilator at the very early stages of his life, it put a lot of pressure on his eyeballs. And so whenever he was in the NICU, he actually had one of his retinas detached and the other one was starting to tear. And so we did several laser surgeries. And um, one of his eyes, he actually lost his retina in the NICU at birth or whenever he was a newborn. Um, they did laser surgeries on his good eye, and we were able to keep that good until he was about probably 10, 11 years old, and then we started noticing whenever I would tell him, hey, go 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 to your bedroom, and he would crawl, go to your bedroom, and uh, I'll get you ready for bed. He would kind of wander around the house and get lost, and I'm going, something's, something's off. Something's going on with Coy. So we took him to the doctor, and sure enough, that on his good eye, his retina detached, and and so he struggled since that, that time in his life until now with being blind. And this is the thing I can tell you about blind people. They never know when they have a milk mustache. <laughs> they don't know whenever their hair's out of place. If their socks are mismatched, they couldn't tell you. And one of the things that you will see as a hallmark of somebody who's a proud person is they are some of the most unaware people on the face of the planet. And that's what Jesus is trying to point out to the church. Don't be that guy. You say to me, I'm rich, I don't need anything, I'm good. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, church, you still need me. You still need an encounter with me. You still need my presence. You still need my grace. You still need me to intervene and bring miracles in your life, to move heaven and earth because you only have about that much strength, but I have all of it. You still need me. There's this place that God wants us to get to where we're vulnerable and we open our heart and say, God, you want me to do business with you? Okay, I'll do business with you. What do you want? And this is what He wants He wants your pain. He wants you to get to a place where you bring Him his, your sin and He wants you to lay down your pride. John, if you'll go ahead and come on up in. Church, if you would stand with me this morning. I'm going to give you an opportunity to engage with God and do do a little business. And I want to read you a passage of scripture because as Jesus is talking to the church in Laodicea and he tells them, this is the condition of your heart, you're in the spiritual funk. Here's the way out of it. He gives them a promise and I want to read you this promise. It's really powerful. Revelation chapter three, verse eighteen, this is or verse nineteen, this is where he concludes. He says, "I correct and I discipline everyone that I love. The reason he 's having the conversation is because it 's motivated by love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If, you're, if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together. See one of the things that Jesus wants. More than anything else is intimate communion with you. And communion is bigger than a cup and a little piece of bread. Communion is friendship. It's intimacy. It's nearness. And Jesus wants to get to a place in his relationship with you where you are close. If you're here today and you're in a spiritual funk and you're in that place where it's like, man, I just don't feel near to God. Jesus is trying to give you a way out of that. He wants to stir the waters of your heart to get you to a place where you are in this family gathering and you can sit at the table and you can look each other eye to eye and just exchange love. Yes, you have sin. I would endeavor to say, yes, you have pride. Yes, you have this this thing inside of you that hurts because of some of the stuff that you're going through. But none of that disqualifies you from nearness to Jesus it's whenever we begin to hide and hang on to and become entrenched in our pride that we begin to set ourselves up in a spiritual funk. So what I want to do, I want to invite our altar ministry team to come down front. And I want to pray for you, but man, if you need prayer today, lay down your pride. Engage with somebody and ask, this, I really need to reconnect with the Lord. This is your opportunity. So if you would bow your head and if you're here today and you are in a spiritual funk, I want to ask you to raise your hand because I want to pray for you specifically. Be bold. Don't be ashamed. Like I said, this is something that every single one of us goes through from time to time. Father, I just thank you so much for this vulnerability and the honesty and I ask in Jesus' name that you would draw near now to the brokenhearted. Jesus, we declare that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You are the one who who walked the face of the earth. You healed the lame. You gave sight to the blind. And those people who are here today, God, who are in that spiritual funk, who are stuck, God, they don't feel your presence. There's a bad attitude. All the things, Lord, would you draw near to them right now? Would you show them your love? Would you show them your grace? And would you show them your mercy in the moment that they need you the most? And I ask that in Jesus' name, amen.